Chase Elliott has been suspended for a week after his incident with Denny Hamlin. The question is, has NASCAR gone too far and crossed the line? We'll cover this and more on this episode of The Stage Break. Episode number 12 is underway. My name is Josh, and I'd like to welcome you back to the stage break. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much for checking out the show. Hope you enjoy it today. Let's talk about some takeaways from the Coca-Cola 600. And I mean, after all the rain delays, it actually was a pretty decent race. I enjoyed the war of attrition that we typically see in a long race like this. And, you know, it's kind of like you got to execute the entire race it's such a long race there's so many opportunities to make a mistake uh, for for something to happen and, and there's so many variables right i mean the drivers have to execute the pit teams and the the crew chief they've got to execute with the calls they have to make and the pit crews executing on pit road uh, it's just there, there's so many opportunities for mistakes to be made uh, and even on track with drivers, as we saw, a number of in- incidents happen. I mean, these guys, these guys and, and the drivers, they've, they've got to make the right decisions the entire night uh, or the entire race. And uh, so it, it's always enjoyable to see how all of that plays out. You know, we didn't get the day-to-night situation that we had expected with it on Sunday, but there were still some shifts from going from cloudy uh, to some sunshine. Not very much sunshine, but there, there was a little bit here and there, I believe, and then we did have the rain delay. I don't, I, I don't think it was a, a complete washout either, but, I mean, there probably was some rubber that had been laid down on the track that wasn't there later. And so we did get some variety in the racetrack, I think. The, you know, the temperatures were low, so that, that helped maybe even things out a little bit. But all in all, I think, you know, for a long race, it, it, it take, it's, not a, it's not a gimme by any means. So no matter the conditions... Uh, they still have to execute and make the right calls. And if anything, I think it maybe made the race harder to win because you kind of knew what to expect for all four stages. It wasn't like, you know, stage one is going to be, you know, 70% sunlight and then stage two is 50 and stage three is 20. You know, stage four is, is at night. You, know, you didn't have that, that shift. So you could kind of anticipate what was coming. And it, it, I guess, I, I would think it would make it easier for all the teams to kind of match each other. So for there to be a car that would win, and in this case would win in a pretty dominant fashion, uh, I, I think that says a lot to the team that they just kind of really excelled the entire weekend. And obviously, I'm talking about Ryan Blaney. Super happy for him to break that winless streak in a huge race like the Coca-Cola 600. So... Congratulations to the 12 team and to Penske on the 600 win, as well as the Indianapolis 500 win, uh, doing, getting both of those victories on the same weekend. Uh, it was really cool to see. Well, we've had several weeks throughout this season where we've had some pretty big storylines come about and a lot of conversations that, that could be had throughout the week, and this is no exception. We've got some major headlines we have a very obvious one that we'll talk about with Chase Elliott here in a bit. 
But there's another major headline uh, concerning Chase Briscoe and the number 14 Stuart Haas racing team. They received an L3 penalty, which is NASCAR's most severe penalty. They were docked 120 regular season points, 25 playoff points, fined $250,000, and the crew chief, uh, John or Johnny Klausmeyer, was suspended for six races. Uh, this is, you know, NASCAR has like three levels of penalties, L1, L2, and L3 with L3 being the most severe. This is the first time this season that an L3 penalty has been issued. Uh, and from the things that I've been hearing and reading, it, it's kind of the severity of, you know, you're, you're messing with the fuel. Uh, you're, you're messing with the tires to try to give yourself an advantage. Or you're, you're messing with uh, some of the specs for the engine, the, you know, the displacement, or, you know, something that, is very, uh, it's just, you don't do these. You shouldn't, you shouldn't mess with the cars in that way. I mean, if you want to, uh, try to optimize a, a few little things within the boundaries, cool. But, uh, you know, like tires, fuel, uh, the engine itself, those are all supplied. And even I think on a stricter, uh, level than the, the, the supplied parts that these cars and, and these teams are having to buy these sourced parts. Uh, it sounds like it's, obviously, it's an L3 penalty. It is more severe than just modifying a part. Uh, they did something that apparently was really egregious here. And uh, based off of the uh, some of the articles that I've read, they modified a, a NACA duct on the left and right uh, windows. And I believe it's like the, the rear quarter windows. Uh, and this, this NACA duct is something that uh, is said in the article that it connected to uh, a part of the engine. I think the, oh, I'm going to mess it up now, uh, but uh, engine wall, I think, is, is how it was worded. Um, I think basically it's, it's something that directs airflow uh, and, and actually would, because of the orientation of the duct, I believe it actually creates a vacuum that would suck air through the, the duct work. Now, what it appears is that from, from what was revealed in the article was that the inside of that ductwork had been manipulated. And actually the ductwork itself, as they would use the word, was counterfeit. It wasn't a supplied part that they had modified. It was a homemade version made to look like the official part. Uh, and even um, NASCAR's El, um, Elton Sawyer uh, made a reference that they had attempted to put like the serial numbers, identifying markers. They tried to um, copy what was on the original to make it look like an original. But what had happened is they had fabricated this piece themselves, modified it to enhance the performance of the car, and then thrown this counterfeit piece on the car in hopes that it was disguised enough that people wouldn't find it if it were inspected. And uh, the 14 car was one of the random cars that was taken back uh, for uh, an inspection post-race, and they found this. Now, what would that do to the car? Um, I think, basically, if the gist of it is this. If you restrict the airflow, I think that has to do with uh, downforce effects on the car. So, basically, you have a certain amount of airflow moving through that ductwork. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where all it goes. But uh, basically, it's, it's restricting the airflow, which would mean that it's putting uh, back pressure 
on the front end of it. Uh, I'm guessing this would be in the engine bay area. And uh, because of that, it's, uh, it's creating, uh, it, the intent was it for it to create more downforce. Um, Stuart Haas Racing claimed that it was a quality control issue. But as, as I said, NASCAR's uh, Elton Sawyer disagrees and says that it was intentional and that the counterfeit part was fashioned to look like the supplied part all the way down to the lettering. Now, this would be, um, you know, I think probably a big deal. It's a big deal anyway. I mean, it's an L3 penalty. It, and they got fined a quarter of a million dollars. It's a huge deal. But uh, you know how big a deal this was? It, it was so big of a deal that they finished 20th place with this car. I mean, it wasn't even a, a winning car or a top five or a top 10. They finished P20. Uh, and on top of that, got fined a quarter of a million dollars and 120 points, driver points, which, by the way, that's like four, nah, that's that's three wins, basically. If you were to go out and uh, and get like some solid stage finishes and then win three races, that's about how many points they lost. So three three wins... Uh, is what they were uh, docked from this penalty. That's that's very significant. It's a s- extremely harsh penalty, uh, but that I think that just goes to show kind of how bad the penalty or how bad the um, the issue was that they discovered in this duct work. So that's a huge storyline that may be getting overshadowed by the Chase Elliott thing. Uh, but uh, either way, that's a big deal. So uh, just keep that in mind. Maybe as you see them and on the track and. Um, and you might even look, if you follow the point standings, uh, that's obviously going to be changed significantly. Another big major headline is that obviously since Chase Elliott has been suspended, Corey LaJoy will be driving the number nine for Hendrick Motorsports at Worldwide Technology Raceway. And then Carson Hosevar will be driving uh, or filling in for uh, Corey since he's not going to be in the Spire number seven Chevy. And so Carson Hosevar is going to make his cup debut uh, in that number seven car. So these are two guys that get a huge shot to showcase what they can do. Corey LaJoy, I think, is an, is an excellent driver. I think he has what it takes, but they just struggle on the equipment side and uh, having the same level of resources as maybe Hendrick or Joe Gibbs or Trackhouse or, you know, just the, these bigger teams. And I think that's kind of that where their Achilles heel is a little bit. So now he has this opportunity to go race in the number nine I'm really curious to see what he's going to do. And then also we have Carson Hosevar, who obviously a truck season regular, uh, but he's uh, been racing in some Xfinity Series races, and I've really watched him in those just to see how consistent he is and, and how he races. Is, is he uh, super aggressive? Is he predictable? Just to kind of see how he handles the car. And uh, he seems to have been doing a very good job and getting some solid finishes, top 10s, you know, uh, um, being up towards the front, getting some airtime. So, I mean, that's really good. So I'm curious how he's going to do. I don't think it's going to be like he's going to come out there and do something crazy that Corey LaJoy was unable to do. But it'd be interesting just to see how he handles the new car, uh, how many laps he gets in, see if he can finish on the lead lap, that kind of thing. Really, like a debut, it's... Just be consistent, and I've heard some, um, you know, some productions and videos. I mean, the goal is just to run all the laps, right? Yeah, I mean, you're obviously would love to win the race, but you can only expect so much from your first time in a Cup car, um, and so especially with a team that history shows is, is kind of a middle of the pack team. Now they've made progress, but the reality is that's where they're at. So 
Um, you know, they, they could come out here and shock us. I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm really interested just to see how he does. So um, those are those are two major headlines. Uh, there's an article that was put out from Beyond the Flag, uh, which wrote that NASCAR made a mistake, and its TV numbers are now going to be low because they've penalized Chase Elliott. And I think they're taking from what the article said was during the time that Chase was out because of his injury, the TV numbers suffered for it. And so now that NASCAR has taken him out uh, because of this penalty that they've issued, uh, now this race is going to kind of be a little bit of a flop. Well, I completely disagree. I mean, yeah, it stinks that he's out. I hate that that has to happen. I hate that NASCAR has to make a penalty like this and enforce it. However, I'm excited to see what Corey LaJoy can do. I, I mean, this is a huge chance for him, at least just to showcase what he's got, even if uh, it doesn't really change uh, the trajectory of his career. Uh, this is this is a really big shot for him to show what he can do in a quality car. So I'm curious. I, I'm, I'm waiting to see what he can do, and I, I'm excited to see what Carson can do as well. Um, like I said, I don't think he's going to come out and shock the world, but you know, it's an opportunity. It's a chance, and you only get one shot to make a good first impression. So we'll see what he can do in that car. Let me take a moment to put a little plug in here for different ways that you can connect with me and the show. Obviously, I've pushed uh, following us on Instagram. That would be one of the, the best ways and probably where I'm you know at the most. And if you were to send a message or put a comment, like a post or something like that, I'm going to see that. Uh, but there's other ways, too. You can check us out on the website. Uh, uh, thestagebreakpodcast.com is uh, the address to that. You can go there to uh, listen to episodes, uh, get some more information about the show and some of the things we try to do. Uh, I've got a NASCAR Fantasy League link that you can go to if you want to join the league with me and, uh, and, and just kind of have that fun little bit of competition throughout the week. I've also uh, got a page on there where if you want to submit a question to the show, something that you would like me to answer, whether that's pertaining to NASCAR rules, uh, maybe a major headline like this with Chase Elliott, if you want my opinion on something maybe that's not as prominent, or um, you know maybe something about the next-gen car or a racetrack they're going to, and you know, it's a question you want to have answered, I'm all for it. Let me know. But Go to the website. There's a Submit a Question tab you can hit. And, uh, and just put it down there, and I'll get back with you and give you an estimate of when I think I'll be able to answer that question. It'll most likely be the next episode. So uh, unless there's a something else already planned that the episode's already chocked full of content, uh, I'll most likely be able to, to throw that segment in there and answer your questions. Uh, you can do that. I've also set up a Discord uh, server. Uh, if you're familiar with Discord, it's... Uh, I've got some stuff on there, you know, just kind of another place for people to connect and um, you know, NASCAR fans to interact. Instagram's great for that, but this is kind of maybe more on a, you know, uh, more than just messaging. If um, you want to, you know, watch a, a YouTube video or a race together and have some watch parties, you can join in there and, and talk with each other. Um, also, there'll be uh, some, you know, show announcements and uh, if you have some ideas for things on the show, you can. There's a there's a tab on there for you to leave some comments on that. I mean, and you can also do that on the website and on Instagram. It doesn't have to be on Discord. Uh, but those are some of the ways that you can connect with the show, and, um, and maybe connect with some other people that are listening and other NASCAR fans as well. So I encourage you to go check those things out. The you know obviously Instagram, give us a follow, 
uh, that, that's a big help. Uh, check us out on the website uh, if you want to submit a question or anything like that, um, or even just uh, you know general comments or whatever. You can contact. There's some contact information on there for you, um, and then the Discord server as well. Oh yeah, and we've got a Facebook page too. That's just kind of getting off the ground, so it's not too prominent. But if you're more on the Facebook side instead of the Instagram side, uh, you can go search for that. There's a, just a Facebook page, the Stage Break Podcast, as well. So let's dig into the big, oh man, the big storyline of this week with Chase Elliott getting suspended for his incident with Danny Hamlin. And that leads us to a really big question. Did NASCAR go too far here? Did they go too far by penalizing Chase, Chase Elliott for wrecking him? Uh, it's it's kind of like, it, kind of the arguments that I've been hearing is, well, people have been wrecking people for a long time. It's nothing new. Uh... I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it seems controversial for sure, and it's very easy for something like this to get subjective and not objective, right? It's so hard to judge these kinds of things, but I think NASCAR set a precedent last year with the incident with Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson and how they handled that, and this is a very similar situation, uh, and so I can see why they made the disti- this, the. I can see why they made the decision they did, but uh, that gets into, you know, well, how many of these are they going to start penalizing people for every incident? And I think the answer that to that question is no, uh, and I've got some good reasons why. But let, let's let's get into did NASCAR go too far? And I think to understand an, a, a good answer, not necessarily to understand. I think to get a good answer to that question, we have to know the rules that NASCAR cited in giving him this penalty. So I've, I, you can go look this up. It's on the NASCAR website, nascar.com. They, and, and in the article about his suspension, it cites the rules. And I've got it pulled up here in front of me. I just want to read it because I think it'll help clarify um, some things as we discuss this. It says this, Officials cited sections 4.3.A and 4.4.C and D of the NASCAR member code of conduct laid out in the NASCAR rulebook in Elliott's suspension. Section 4.3.A cites NASCAR member conduct and states, correct and proper conduct both on and off the racetrack is part of a member's responsibilities. Section 4.4.C lists removing another competitor from championship contention in a dangerous manner when not racing for position based on the available evidence, and specific circumstances of the incident. That was one of the two actions that could result in a penalty, including race suspensions. Listed as an example in the rulebook is clearly forcing another competitor into the wall in an abrupt and unambiguous manner. Section 4.4.D lists actions by a NASCAR member that NASCAR finds to be detrimental to stock car racing or NASCAR. So those are the three big things that they pulled out and as reasons why they enforced a penalty here. So here's where that gets extremely tricky. It is very difficult, if not impossible, to judge whether or not a driver wrecks someone intentionally. If you're just looking at an incident that happens either with your own eyes or from a video camera that's taken a shot of this, you almost cannot do it. You can't, 
And here's, here's why. In order for you to make a judgment call of whether or not someone intended to do something, that's you saying, I know exactly what that driver was thinking in that moment, and I know what went through his head, I know what decision he made, and I know the intentions of that driver while he was sitting in the cockpit of that car. And nobody can do that. Not, not a single NASCAR official, not another driver. Uh, you know, you can't know with absolute certainty whether or not a driver intended to do anything. Because they can always come out and claim that they didn't, as was the case with Chase Elliott. In his post-interview, post-incident interview outside the care center, he said, oh no, that wasn't intentional. It was just when the car hit the wall, you know, these things are done and you can't control them and you can go and listen to that if you haven't already. Uh, you know, if, if, you gotta, if you're just trying to figure out what the guy intended to do, you can't do it based off of what you see or what he says solely. So NASCAR should not, and logic says that they cannot park anybody over something subjective like whether or not they intended to. So how did NASCAR justify their ruling? Well, I, I pulled out some key factors from the rules that they stated, and, and here's, I think, the, the getting down to the, the meat of it. It's the phrase, removing a competitor in a, quote, dangerous manner, and then also when not racing for position. So I think it's the dangerous manner part that they're talking about, as well as uh, the, the not racing for position. Was it dangerous for that incident to happen the way it did? Absolutely. I mean, you know, hooking Denny Hamlin into the outside wall, a high-speed part of the track. I mean, if, if you think it's not a big deal, go watch the in-car camera of that incident when, and how it rattled Denny's body. I mean, it just looked like a rag doll inside that car. I mean, it was a vicious crash. Uh, was it dangerous? Absolutely, it was dangerous. The question then is, well, was he racing for a position? Well, kind of, because here's the deal. Uh, they had been going on and on for two, three laps probably, uh, beating and banging off of each other. And, and so this was happening. Were they racing for a position? Well, most of the time. But at the moment of the incident... Were they racing for a position? Like, were they actually in it and, you know, in a turn, side by side? I mean, they came out of it side by side. But here's the deal. Chase hit the wall. He straightened the car out, and he could have kept going. But then, after he straightened the car out, he turned left into Denny. And not only is that what you see on the footage, it's also what the data shows which gets us to the next thing. How can NASCAR make a consistent objective ruling, right? If it's subjective, every single time, you're going to have people upset every time they park somebody. You can't make a subjective call. That's just not the right way to do it. It's got to be on something objective that it can be consistent and enforceable uh, consistently for everybody, right? So how can they make this consistent objective ruling? Well, with the SMT data, the you know the the telemetry from the car, that's a, that's a big deal, and that's a part of a lot of what weighed into uh, the decision. That's another thing you can go check out if you haven't seen it. Go check out Denny's um, as a post. I think maybe Twitter uh, that that he put the SMT data up for us to be able to see what uh, happened right there at the incident, and it, it makes it pretty clear that it, Chase was not trying to avoid him in any way whatsoever. 
let's say the car broke. Let's say that he broke a tow link and, and the car was tending toward Denny Hamlin's car. Well, he made no effort to avoid it. Instead, he turned towards him. Uh, and that's, that's pretty obvious. You can go look at the video evidence as well. It showed that uh, after he hit the wall, the car was tracking straight. The tires were tracking straight. The car seemed pretty balanced. And, and as well as whenever the nine car turned abruptly, it actually, if you pause it, it gives you a really good view of the side of the car that hit the wall. And you know what you don't see? A really torn up race car. You see a car that could have kept on going from all appearances. Uh, you, you see a car that brushed the wall a little bit, but could have finished that race and, and maybe gotten a top 10 or even a top five without a doubt. Like if, if the car handled well to begin with, I think it, it wouldn't have messed up anything. And then you have this other, this too, that, that you can look at the trends of some of the other cars. You know, Chase Elliott was not the only car to hit the wall. There are a ton of cars hitting the wall that race. And yet, not a single other car, as far as my knowledge goes, was destroyed or killed or uncontrollable because they brushed the wall. And so if everyone else is doing that, the trend says, based off of what they saw in the video, it's unlikely that his car received some sort of damage that led to it being uncontrollable and driving into Denny. So I think you've got to look at all the data. And, and, and the SMT data is, I think, really influential and key in all of this. Because without that, you really are trying to judge intent. So now it's not, you're not judging intent based off of how it appears. You're judging intent based on the data. Based on the SMT data, video evidence. You know, did the car turn before Chase's hands moved? Or did Chase's hands move and then the car turn? I mean, you can look at the video to find that out. Were other cars getting knocked out because of this thing and losing control? Or were they able to hit the wall and keep going? And in this case, compare what other cars did to what Chase's car did. What would you expect the car to do? I would expect him to keep racing. Well, that's not what happened. He turned into Danny. So did NASCAR make the right call? I believe they did. Like I said, they set a precedent last year. I think they've got to be consistent with it. And and here's why it's so important. I mean... We would love to think that no one's going to get hurt. But if this stuff keeps up, someone's going to. And, and that's not what anyone wants. I mean, no matter whether or not you like Denny or if you like Kyle Busch or, or uh, Ross Chastain, I don't think anybody really wants them to get injured uh, in a race. If you do, you've got problems, right? I mean, that's, that, that's not what we want. We, this is a sport. This is something that we want to see competition. We don't want to see injury. And, and, you know, heaven forbid death, right? That We don't want that. And so this stuff can't happen simply because we've got to watch out for these drivers and, and take care of them. So NASCAR is making the steps and, uh, to, to make that happen. And, and I'm glad they're doing it. I, I think that, you know, there's other ways to retaliate later on in a race that is not threatening a guy's life, right? There's a right way to do it. And if, you know, if someone bumps into you and affects your race in a negative way, I think that they reasonably would expect something to come back. Do it right way. Do it in the right way. Don't, don't just hook them into the wall and, and put them in jeopardy. That's not the right way to do it. So did NASCAR make the right call? Yeah, I think they did. Well, let's move on and look ahead to this weekend's race, the Enjoy Illinois 300 
at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway, or also known as Gateway, is a 1.25-mile oval, and it's got a tight turns 1 and 2, and then kind of a sweeping turns 3 and 4. If you look at the track from an aerial perspective, turns 1 and 2, the radius of the turns is a lot smaller than turns 3 and 4. But uh, uh, what you have is turns 1 and 2 is banked a little bit more. Turns 1 and 2, 11 degrees of banking, and then 9 degrees of banking in turns 3 and 4. So you have a really cool dynamic of a racetrack that's a little bit longer in, in length than just like a short track, but you have to drive the turns kind of like a short track, and, and because they are so flat, and then you know, you've got a tight turn on one end, uh, a wider radius, sweeping turn the other end, uh, I think it's going to be a challenge to get a car that can handle both ends perfectly, uh, but that, that's what they're facing. So what's this? the race? It's a 300-mile race. 240 laps is what they'll be doing. Uh, stage 1 will end at lap 45. Stage 2 at lap 140. And then they'll have a 100-lap shootout to the checkered flag at lap 240. Well, what are my expectations for this race? Uh, it's kind of like a big and fast New Hampshire Motor Speedway. You know, New Hampshire's a one-mile track. So add a quarter mile to that. Uh, the, the turns are a little bit different. The banking's a little bit different. But it, it's, it's kind of similar to New Hampshire. So it's, it's just a little bit bigger version, which means that you have a little bit faster speeds, but then you still have the really big braking zones. And by braking, it's also a passing zone, right? Or uh, a bumping zone, as we saw last year. Maybe more than a bump is what we saw last year. But uh, either way, you, you've got these opportunities to get into a turn deep if your tires can handle it and, uh, and execute a pass. So it's not just, you know, pedal down and lift a little bit to get into the turn and, you know, manage your throttle. You've got some really big braking zones because the turns are relatively flat compared to some other tracks that, that NASCAR goes to. Uh, and it's not a short track package that they're going to have. It's not the low downforce package. They've got the regular package here. However, it is driven a little bit more like a short track. So I'm curious to see how that plays into it with the, the added downforce in these turns. If you remember, the short track package took away about 30% of the downforce. So that 30% is going to be back. They have that now. Uh, but yet, it's uh, you know they've got these flat turns on a 1.25-mile track. So we'll have to see how that goes. Despite that, though, even though there's more downforce, it's still a driver's track, right? It's still a flat, you know, uh, drive it like a short track, but with the higher speeds, you've got to manage your tires. You've got to make sure you don't burn them off and uh, you don't wear them out too quick. Uh, you know, make them last. Tire management is going to be key. So it's, it's, uh, I think the, the people that do well obviously have to have the car that will handle it, but it's not just having a good car. It's also the execution from the driver's seat, making sure that you don't overdo it, that you, you handle your tires really, really well, and uh, extend the life of them if at all possible, which will also play itself in when do these drivers make passes and make moves, right? You don't, you don't want to make moves too soon or too aggressively, and wear out your tires early to where it hurts you later on into a run. So all of that's going to be taken into consideration and play factors into the outcome of this race. So who are the ones that I've got my eye on? Well, if you look at history, we only have last year's race to look back on. Uh, the trucks 
and the Xfinity and IndyCar. I think they've all run races here for quite some time. Uh, but the Cup Series has only been here one other time, and that was last year. Uh, and Joey Logano was the winner of that race. So my eye is on him uh, just because he's got the experience and they kind of they had a, a really good setup that worked for them before. So you've got that in your back pocket if you're uh, you know the uh, 22 team. Uh, however, I think just as a standard, you've you've got to have be a versatile driver and have a versatile car. It's it's kind of a hybrid. You know, like I say, it's a high speed track, but it's kind of a short track in regards to the turns. So it's someone that's got to you know be versatile and be able to handle that. Uh, Joey Logano proved it last year, so he's obviously on the list. But uh, who else is out there? Well, I think Ty Gibbs would be one that I would keep my eye on. You know, he hasn't won yet, but he's been pretty consistent. Uh, he's really impressed me with this this uh, this new season, uh, running the the 45 car and not the 45, the 54, uh, the 54 Toyota, and uh, I, I'm I'm curious to see if he doesn't get a win this season. I kind of think that because there's very little notes to be had on this racetrack, he may be at a little bit of an advantage there. And uh, also, I think he's just, uh, you know, because he's a bit younger, I think he can adapt a little bit better. And he's obviously adapted well because of how many times he got thrown into uh, the cup car last year and then come in as a rookie this year and excelled at it. So I think he's one to keep an eye on. And then obviously... Uh, I want to see what Corey LaJoy does in that number nine for Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, he's going to be in a solid car. Uh, I'm going to look for him to make a statement this race. And then also looking at Carson Hosevar. I don't think he's going to be a contender to win, but uh, I, I want to keep my eye on him just to see how well he does. It's his cup debut, and uh, just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect from him. But uh, I'm just kind of curious, honestly, and I think that's really where this is coming from. I, uh, don't have an eye on him as ones to watch to win, but uh, just to see how he performs and executes this race at Gateway. So who are your ones to watch? I'll be making a post on Instagram about it, and I encourage you to let me know in the comments of that post who are your drivers that you'll be watching this weekend at Gateway. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Stage Break. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, go ahead and share it with a friend. Have a great weekend, enjoy the race at Gateway, and we'll catch you at the next stage break.